Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. It's The List and your boy with Jimmy Van and Sean Ross Sapp. What's up, you guys? Sean Ross Sapp here, managing editor of Fightful.com. It is October 11th, but more importantly, it is time for The List and your boy, number 41, starting a new contest today, officially today. So I want to know, Jimmy, what, what are you giving away? Are you giving away anything? I didn't talk to you about it before the before we went on the air. I want to know what the hell is going on with your hair today. Everything's going on with my hair, man. Like, here's the thing. Did you fall, like, head first into a mud puddle or something? What the hell is going on yeah, That there? would probably be an improvement. I'm, uh, You know, I thought months ago I had hit the, the fabled awkward stages. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I've done that now. Actually, I did a run-in on a Vince Russo Google Hangout at midnight last night All right. just to brag about my hair, and then I left. So it looks like either you're trying one of those dry shampoos that are all the rage now, or no. uh, you're going for the Dean Ambrose look. It looks I like have it's... A, I have a... Contrary to what my head would tell you, I have a family full of hairstylists, uh, but... Um, Here's the thing. I Usually I would just wear a headband. If I don't have a podcast the rest of the day, I throw in a headband and put it up. I stopped that because <laughs> the night of Great Balls of Fire, I did a podcast with the headband on. Uh-huh. And I am very cognizant about how goofy it looks. But that was the night I broke the news of Brock Lesnar being rather happy with Samoa Joe backstage. Uh-huh. And the clip of me talking about that got picked <laughs> up by a lot of a lot of YouTube pages awesome. or not YouTube Facebook pages like Pro Wrestling Spotlight I like to show them love mm-hmm. they uh, reference us a lot and there were people like who's this fucking idiot <laughs> <laughs> appropriately so well you got quite the do going today man you look great I yeah. uh, I gotta warn you before we get started I was up until about 4am I have a, I had a feverish child 
Uh, anyone that's ever dealt with a feverish child, you're basically you know keeping an eye on them all night, and that's what I did. I'm tired, Sean. I'm here for you though, man. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try my best. If you find a few times during this thing that you say stuff and I don't get it or something, that's probably the reason. I'm gonna be honest. The last time we did a show and both of us said that we were tired, I thought it was one of the best shows we ever did. Probably because we I cared thought... even we probably cared even less about uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> public opinion. Well, I'm running like I've not had a day off a solid. Like I thought my my time off was coming after the Orlando trip because I even worked some on that. And it's been nonstop since then. And then, you know, we got this associate editor business and then a couple of other gaps that I was going to have time off. Impact and uh, a couple other places, off, uh, Bellator offered me interviews. And I was like, you know what? I'm not passing up a Heather Hardy interview. I think she's great. I think that she'd be a good one to talk to. Mm. Got James Storm next week. Got Sanjay Dutt this week. So I'm going to talk cool. to them too. That's cool. Well, we got some changes at Fightful. So James Lynch is joining Fightful MMA. Yeah, um, boy, we did that. We did that first podcast last week. Yeah, just I didn't advertise it or anything. I just wanted to see how it went. I love working with James. Love he's a good guy. I, I met him for met him for lunch uh, here in Toronto. Uh, I guess that was two weeks ago. He's a good guy. He'll be a good fit. And then uh, Alex Pulaski's leaving us uh, on the fightful wrestling side. And you brought in a gentleman named Ryan Rose. Who, well, uh, well, Alex is staying with us to do off track and right. some of that stuff that he does. Uh, exceptionally well he wanted to step down he's been our associate editor for about 11 months and i brought over brian rose from wrestling observer i want to thank everybody who applied i do retain all the applications in case something goes awry i keep all those on file i'm very aware of them uh but yeah i'm very excited he came highly recommended i looked at his twitter profile and saw we had a bunch of friends in common Reached out to them, got high praise from guys like Jeff Hawkins, whose opinion I value pretty greatly when it comes to something like that. So very happy to have him on. It's it's really going to help us step up our uh, and diversify our coverage, which I'm very excited about. And we get to keep Alex with, with the stuff that he does so great that no other websites do. So I'm very happy about that. There you go. There you go. So uh, let's start off by touching upon Hell in a Cell. So... Uh, I know that it seems that the, uh, the the popular opinion is people want to talk about the Usos match. People want to talk about the Shane McMahon match. Uh, I want to talk about the Jinder Mahal match because I have been a advocate for Shinsuke Nakamura since before he came up to the main roster. I looked at him as being a can't miss prospect. Uh, I thought this yeah. guy this guy is different than everybody else. He's got a presence nobody else has. He's got a charisma nobody else has. And he's supposed to, he should be a can't-miss prospect, this guy. He has now yeah. lost in back-to-back pay-per-view matches to, to Jinder Mahal. And on this one, he lost to Jinder Mahal clean as a sheet in the middle of the ring. What do you think the mentality is? Because when you, when you look at – now, I haven't heard much about India, and I don't know if Jinder has had any kind of uh, uh, effect on the Indian market. I don't know. I haven't heard anything about their, their network buys or merchandise or anything. But when you look at the buildings for SmackDown that are half full – and they're having to move everybody to the other side in order to fill it for TV. And I know that uh, I think Brandon Howard did a piece saying that Cena's move to Raw was a big factor in that. And I, I'm, I'm sure it yeah. was. I'm sure it was. But Jinder as champion isn't, I don't think, doing anything for the brand. What do you think about them having Shinsuke put him over clean? Because now, in my opinion, Shinsuke is a damaged brand now. I think a lot of the guys that they, they beat, and it's that mentality of wins and losses don't really matter. We've seen Road Dog say it. And I'm thinking wins and losses don't matter sometimes when you're like Chael Sonnen 
and sometimes like a Conor McGregor, like one loss didn't kill him. These guys aren't there yet. Like Nakamura is wildly popular, but he's been around this year on right. WWE main roster. Braun Strowman really could have used that win over Brock Lesnar. He could have been the next one. To me, it's a lot of short-term planning, and I say short-term planning because, well, I don't know. It's like this weird mixture with Jinder Mahal because they want to get that market. Mm -hmm. And I've been saying it could be worse. It could be Mahabali Shara. But even Impact looked at that and they said, it ain't worth it. Mm -hmm. It ain't worth putting him over everybody when he's just not good. Mm-hmm. I can't I mean, wait to talk to Sanjay Dutt about this because you know he has been in that market before with Ring King. Like right. they they did this before, and the show didn't get renewed. It just didn't stick. I mean, not that it's the same thing, but uh, if if Goldberg in the in the mid to late nineties was winning five, losing one, winning five, losing one, he would not have become Goldberg. When Ryback went on the big run and actually popped a number with CM Punk on pay per view, wouldn't have happened if he hadn't gone on a winning streak. I'm not saying Shinsuke Nakamura should be Goldberg. But there's a reason why Kevin Owens has gotten over on the main roster. And granted, Kevin Owens is phenomenal. He's a star of the SmackDown brand. But they brought him in and put him over John Cena, his first night on the main roster. Right? Yeah. If they had have treated Kevin Owens in terms of booking the way that they're treating Shinsuke Nakamura, Kevin Owens would not have gotten over to the level that it's he did. It's true. Right? You can I mean, only... he, he lost plenty of matches, but... He won the big ones. He, did, he won a lot of big ones, yeah. yeah but, I mean, he, he's lost his fair share. But the difference is, like... Gender's not over. No, no. And, and this is like this is where we often hear Vince McMahon books to spite himself sometimes. Right. Like, okay, we'll, we'll make him get over. We'll force it. We'll force it. We'll force it. Right. Now more than ever, people see when you're really trying to force something. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because, again, Shinsuke to me is, is just a damaged brand, like I said. Uh, is what it is. Um, now, as I mentioned, the, the superstar of the SmackDown brand for months now has been Kevin Owens. And uh, I think he, he continues to deliver. What do you think of the Hell in a Cell match with Shane McMahon? I enjoyed it. I thought it was high drama. Uh, way, way better than the Undertaker match. Like, not even close. Like, the, that spot on top of the cage, yeah. I was really fearful somebody was going to die. I was afraid that somebody was going to die, that somebody was going to get really hurt, that, that I'd be writing news stories about, like, horrible tragedies in the world of wrestling, and that's not what I – that's – I don't remember before the last couple of years ever worrying that much, but man, that was high drama. Like the pop-up powerbomb on the top of the cell, you didn't know if it was going to give. You didn't know what was going to happen. 40 minutes, and they had me on the edge of my seat the entire time because when they started the match, it felt like it could end it. Like they could go right up to the top and Kevin Owens could throw him off and that's it. Like right. it felt like that could be it because that's what was advertised. I thought this was a beautiful match. This show was – like the book ended incredibly well. Now, I know that um, some other wrestling critics out there are wrestling journalists. They shit on the fact that they announced that this match was going to be false count anywhere. And they criticized it because the mentality is you're in a cage. You're not supposed to be able to go all around the arena, right? So it, it defeats the purpose yes. of being in the Hell in a Cell. It does sound nonsensical. The reason I had no issue with it is because these guys made it very clear that Shane McMahon's M.O. was that he likes to, to go off the cage, and Kevin Owens said, I'm going to throw you off the cage. Yeah. Uh, and so I didn't mind the fact that they had this supposedly nonsensical booking because they made it clear what they wanted to do. A um, couple things about the match uh, I want to discuss. First off, what do you think about Shane's kids no-selling KO? 
I'm stupid. Did you stop just catch him, that? Stop putting them there. Stop putting them yeah. there. Yeah. If you don't smarten them up, then don't put them there. Well, I think the problem is that they did smarten them up in, in terms of dad's not going to get hurt. And I'm well, sure. I'm sure they. I mean, smartened up to the degree of right. Hey, maybe sell this a little bit, kids. Right. Right. I agree. If I you agree. already know the score, then play along. Right. Right. And the other thing too is when Sami Zayn pulled Kevin Owens off the table. Did you see how close that was? Because yeah. because Kevin Owens was slow getting up, and I think Shane missed him by like two inches. It was very close. Yes, it was very very close. I've seen a lot of other angles of this, mm-hmm. and man, just barely missed. Shane's a pro at these spots. He is incredible at these spots. Like a lot of balls, man. It's true. Yeah, and, and I, Kevin I Owens. love the spot where Kevin Owens wouldn't jump off too. Mm-hmm. That was a little bit of continuity because a couple weeks ago. WWE tweeted, remember when Shane jumped off the cell and Kevin Owens quoted tweet and said, yeah, he did. And like a dumbass, he lost. Right, right. So I thought that was great. Now, when you were in Toronto, you didn't uh, go up the CN Tower, right? I was going to, but the wait was like two hours that day. Yeah, that didn't, yeah. So in Toronto, and I know that this is this is apples and oranges, but in Toronto, at the CN Tower, you can go up the top and they have a glass floor. And yes. you can walk on the glass floor, and you can look down to the to the street down below, right? Mm-hmm. And again, I know it's apples and oranges, but I couldn't help but be impressed with Kevin Owens when he was walking across the cage, even though the cage was kind of giving yes. way with every step. And yet, without even thinking twice, he was walking around up there, and I was watching that thinking, that's balls. Ready to be oh, yeah. doing that, you know? So Yeah. I thought that was good. And then the other thing was uh, leading into SmackDown uh, this week. So we've talked about this before. I really enjoy a heel when the heel does something dastardly, not because he's being an asshole or not because he's being evil. He does something dastardly because to him it's the right thing to do. And and to him yes. it makes sense even though if it might not make sense to the general public. So I loved Sami Zayn's promo on SmackDown. I, love, I loved how Sami Zayn said, look, Shane McMahon promised me the world. He got me over to this brand. He hasn't met with me once since, since he got me over here. I tried to do things, you know, the way people wanted me to do them. I, tr- I hated Kevin Owens, and Kevin Owens won the Universal title, won the U.S. title. He's in main events. I'm in mediocrity. It made perfect sense, right? Yeah. And so he explained, that's why I pulled him off the table, because Shane lied to me. Shane no-sold me in the hallway when I tried to warn him about what Kevin's capable yeah, of. Yeah, the dismissive reaction. Of- right? That Okay, it'd be like, you know what, it'd be... It's like if you came to me giving giving me advice on starting a business. I was like, <laughs> well, whatever. Okay, okay, buddy. Okay, buddy. Oh, you mean kind of like how se- you mean kind of like how Anthem Entertainment's been for the last year? But we're going to get into that. Terrible segue because we're not talking about that yet. <laughs> no, we're not talking, we're not talking about, about, that, about yet. that yet. No, but that I mean, it's like if a janitor were saying you're you're cleaning that toilet a little bit wrong, and I was like. <laughs> Give me a break. I do this like once every so often. That was what Shane McMahon did to Sami Zayn. That was a slap in the face on TV. Sami Zayn's been dealing with Kevin Owens for 15 years. It's well documented. And Shane McMahon never wrestles. Yeah. I thought that he knew what to do. I, th- I do thought you... that was great. I thought the sarcastic, the sarcastic like reintroduction of each other at the end of that where they're like, No! Sami Zayn! <laughs> that was hilarious. How do you clean a toilet a little bit wrong? I don't know. Why don't you uh, tell me about uh, – you could clean it at 3 in the afternoon. 
Which is what happened in the building today. I told Nobody you that. Nobody takes dumps after 3 p.m. apparently. No, at, apparently not. 2323. Two, three. Yeah, they hold them. Good for them. Yeah. So, um, the other Shout thing out about. Shout Greg for not taking those dumps. Oh. Uh, the stories I could tell you. So, oh uh, so, the other thing about SmackDown I wanted to touch upon was the Bludgeon Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> so, are, are we back in 93 with like a, like the, the Bludgeon Brothers? What the hell is that? Come on, Joe. Uh, I almost called you Joe because I'm used to Joe like unleashing like like sometimes we're on different ends of the spectrum. I- I'm interested to see where it goes just because I want to see him tear stuff up. They're they're holding Thor hammers. I know. I want him to come out and like smash the turnbuckle in and ruin the ring for the rest of the night and like yeah, that's what go they're gonna to do. The announce table with them like hit some watermelons like let's do it, man. <laughs> the the old Gallagher. They're gonna do the old yeah. Gallagher trick. Yeah. All right. Uh, switching over to Raw, so the Shield officially reunited this week. Do you think that this is what the Doctor ordered for Roman Reigns? Do you think this is gonna get him over the that, top? With the if that Doctor is Vince McMahon, and he's been sued for malpractice about eight times in regard to the same thing, because uh, yeah, Roman Reigns is over. He's just not the kind of over they want him to be. It's true. It's true. Roll with the way that he's over, man. Now I will say one thing that I that I. I appreciated. You and I spoke last week uh, and a couple weeks now about the TLC match, about how I wasn't interested in it because of the opposition. Because yes. first, first it looked like it was going to be Miz, Bo Dallas, and Curtis Axel. Then they put in Cesaro and Sheamus, and still it just looked like they're not competition for uh, for uh, the Shield. Now they've added Braun Strowman to the team. Now, granted, they still have weak links on the team. And and it's likely that you know Braun is going to be probably left by himself. It's elimination, is it not? Is it an elimination match? I don't think it's an elimination match. It's a TLC match. So oh, I it's mean, a TLC match. Okay. Like, okay. like, what are they grabbing something? What? Are they are they grabbing a briefcase? Like what? what or is it just those so, those are legal? Yeah, maybe that could be what it is. Those are legal. Yeah, but there's still too many weaklings on the team. But at least Braun adds that extra element. Um, Sister Abigail. Oh boy. So let's 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 recap this for a second, all right? So Finn Balor standing in do the we ring. Have to? Well, we're gonna do it quick. Finn Balor standing in the ring, right? Finn Balor's mocking Bray Wyatt, uh, basically saying more or less that he's a joke. No one takes him seriously. No one's afraid of this whole Sister Abigail thing. Bray Wyatt shows up on the screen with a voice synthesizer. It's very clearly Bray Wyatt talking. Very clearly. And like that, Finn Balor's terrified now, and Finn Balor's got his hand over his mouth, and what the fuck are they doing, Sean? So is Bray going to wrestle in drag at TLC? Are they going to... I don't have your answer, because if I did, then... Oh, man. Who is booking this shit? Bray, Finn Balor's Who looking like this? a... He's looking like a plug. Through this whole thing. Like, there's so many ways you can... Like, today, it's hard to do a supernatural character. I've talked about that, on, on like, repeatedly because we're just in a different time. Right. There are ways you can do it. Solomon Crow had, like, a hacker gimmick in NXT. That's a way you can manipulate your surroundings right. a, a little more than somebody else. You know, a, you got a hacker that can turn off the lights at any given time, then turn them on. Right. Can change Titantron videos. Can apply Snapchat filters to a Bray Wyatt promo. They can do like all kinds of different things. Yeah, it's so weird, and I'm so uninterested in Bray Wyatt and Finn Balor. 
The irony is I've probably enjoyed their matches they've had together in this feud more than any that the two have had in a long time on the main roster. But the promos and everything leading up to it, and I knew it was going to suck. As soon as they put these two two guys together, I was like, of course we're going down this road. And it can never be just one. Right. It can never be just one, as we see with Bobby Roode and Dolph Ziggler. Right. Uh, and, right. And that leads to a situation where Bobby Roode forgets his lines on TV. Yeah. But um, uh, stop doing things to death. I wonder if Bray – I wonder if they're going to have like a dress under the ring. And if Bray's going to go under the ring during the match, put the dress on, come back out, and his sister Abigail. When are they going to do that? I don't know. It's so stupid. And then he could feud uh, with Santina Morella, who is fresh off of a feud with Jim Cornette. Yeah, we're going to get to that too. Even though I, okay. part of me doesn't want to put Cornette over, but we'll get to yeah, it. Yeah, I know. So, uh, and then last but not least, <clears throat> Enzo Amore. Credit to him. He kept the third hour number up at a decent level, ratings wise. In the main event again, puts over Kalisto for the cruiserweight title, and Neville walks out. What have you heard about that? Neville walked out before the show. Yeah. It yeah. was changed. Neville was supposed to have uh, a non-title match tonight against Enzo. He just walked out. He was upset about something. I can't say exactly what. WWE like almost tried to follow him out of the arena to fix things. We're hopeful that he would show up last night. He didn't. Uh, that way they could bridge that gap. I, there's a lot of speculation. Everybody's like, Oh well, he wasn't used correctly. Well, yeah, he was given the ball. To Absolutely, five live for sure. You can say he was. That's that's ludicrous. He was given a title for the majority of the year. All that stuff. I don't know if that's why he's upset. I don't know if that's why he wanted to leave. Some people say he can make more money. I don't know if he can. Maybe he can. I know that on the UK scene, which is red hot right now. He could make a lot of money, like a ton of money over there. Is it more than WWE? I don't know. Uh, a lot a lot of people are like, well, he's upset he had to put up Enzo or put over Enzo. Let me tell you, if anything, I would say that's the last because I don't like to use this term a lot, but Neville's not a fucking mark. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not real. There are some people like that, but it happens less and less and less these days than it ever happened before. Well, did he because did he feel want... like uh, did he feel like Callisto was getting a spot? I don't know. I don't know about that either. Um, I know that a lot of people were kind of underwhelmed about the Callisto thing. Like oh. that that was a warning given by many people. Um, maybe maybe we shouldn't fit Callisto in here. WWE wants to keep him. I, it's so funny because the people I reached out to officially say, "Oh, this story's not true." It's true. It's very true. It absolutely happened, and WWE wants to keep him. They don't want it to be true because they really, really like Neville. They think the world of Neville. They get they put a lot of stock in Neville to be the guy that went nose-to-nose with Enzo and got Enzo over. And now Enzo got himself over with his, his uh, promos a lot too, but Neville was the right person to put in that spot, and they had an, an insane amount of confidence in him. Keep in mind, that was after he didn't really – push up the profile of 205 Live the way they were hoping. He didn't. They didn't put as much juice into it mm-hmm. as they have with the Enzo thing, though. Mm-hmm. But they have had these guys as the main event segment for a month straight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there I had people say, well, main event segment isn't main event segment. Yeah, we'll go tell anybody else that who is in that segment. They believe it's the main event segment, and it's been good stuff week in, week out. It is what they go off the air with. 
You know, when Kalisto when Kalisto was doing that promo prior to the match, saying the same thing that he said for years about, you know, Eddie Guerrero inspired me and Rey Mysterio inspired me since I was a kid and blah, 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 blah. I was just listening to that going, and they think that this guy's going to get over doing doing they, that kind of a promo. I, I said it on the Raw show. It's like, I'm not over, so here's some Hispanic stars who were. Mm-hmm, Cheer mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm. It just was bad. It was bad. But, it's uh, stupid. Like, they're trying to... Like, okay, we get it. A lot of people in the 90s didn't give a shit about the history of wrestling. And they've said that. Well, I wasn't into wrestling. I wasn't into wrestling. Today, you see a lot more, and even the last decade, because WWE had hired bodybuilders and fitness models and stuff. Now, you have people that are, and it's almost like WWE sees this as kind of some kind of anomaly. What? Oh, they're good looking, and they're in shape, and they're athletic, and they liked wrestling? Wow, why would they get into the wrestling business? You know, we in, better run with that. Well, it, you've done it to death. In the '90s, when Kurt Angle came into WWE, he got over as a heel because he portrayed a babyface parody by being kind of an over-the-top babyface kind of thing. That's basically what Kalisto's doing now, except he's actually trying to get over as a babyface. Woo, cha, woo, cha. <laughs> shit I've ever seen in my yeah. And he life. was u- he was using that to cue his comeback. Did you see that? He was like on the mat going like this to cue the comeback. It was so bad. Whatever. Mm. Uh, moving on. The Irish Sun reports that WWE is in talks with Conor McGregor over an appearance at WrestleMania next year. Of course uh, they are. No confirmation and the validity of the report is being questioned. But uh, what do you think? I mean, he might command a pretty penny now, don't you think? I know they've reached out to him. That's about all I can, all I can say. But, I mean, they always reach out to him. They've reached out to him multiple times. Yeah, over for uh, like a couple of years now. Yeah, Triple H, I, I reported like la- like a year ago exclusively on Fightful that he was really spearheading the charge to integrate Conor McGregor into WWE programming. Like, he really, really wanted it. So this doesn't come as, as a surprise at all to me. Uh, that being said, like I said on the Holy Smokes MMA podcast, which you guys can check out Wednesday or Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, if he's doing a WrestleMania appearance in April, he damn sure better fight before then because it's six months away. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it looks like they're looking at Nate Diaz for a trilogy fight. That's what it sounds like. So either either Diaz or Ferguson should be the should be yeah. the play. Diaz is big is more money, I think. Um, one other thing, uh, I forgot about the Callisto thing. Um, I don't know if you caught Michael Cole on commentary, and we're all human and we all make mistakes, so I'm not shitting on him for it. But mm-hmm. did you catch Michael Cole give the finish away before it happened? No, I didn't. What did he say? Michael Cole said uh, the cruiserweight title will, and then he paused because he caught himself. He was about to say will change hands. Yeah. And he caught himself, and he paused, and he goes, uh, will be contested. And as soon as he did that, I was like, well, there you go. Callisto's winning the title. But again, this, human nature, it happens. This is why I don't like micromanaging announcers so much because – now there are sometimes like you know Bobby Heenan kind of goofed a little on the whose side is he on, but that became an iconic call. Right. There are times when I, I enjoyed later Don West in TNA because man that dude was so excited about everything that happened on that screen. If you all want to hear a great call, go back to watch Monsters Ball at Bound for Glory 05 when Jeff Hardy jumps off of the set. And his reaction to that. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. He didn't know it was going to happen. Sometimes you have to 
clue your announcers in because you got to put forth a narrative. But that's all WWE does. They want their narrative push, 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 push. Let it happen. Just but see, I let think it happen. Part of the problem too, though, is I think Cole's in the production meetings. And, and if I remember right back in the day, Jerry Lawler and Jim Ross did not want to be in the production meetings because they wanted their reaction to be authentic. Yeah. Right? Cole's in them, so he knows everything going on before the show yeah. happens, right? Which I, I did hear on Bruce Pritchard's latest podcast how he said he wished he had micromanaged Vince McMahon a little bit more on the Kane call when Kane debuted because he wanted the, the line, that's got to be Kane, to happen after Undertaker looked him in the eye and like said, Kane? Like that. Oh, really? Like he wanted it then to really get that. But um, Vince was kind of quick on the trigger, and it right. happens. I think he said he, it as soon as he came down, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. Speaking of announcing and production, I spoke to Ring of Honor lead announcer and host Ian Riccoboni, who uh, is going to be calling three big events for Ring of Honor this weekend, and Fightful has full coverage of them. Of course, David Tease, when there is no MMA on a weekend, is like, hey, hey, yeah, you want me to cover these – Three Ring of Honor events, back-to-back, back nights. And I'm thinking, yeah, because and, – and we'll talk more about Ring of Honor and their possible future. But uh, here's a look at uh, my conversation with Ian, finding out that he's going to be the voice of Ring of Honor. You've become that. Have you become the voice of Ring of Honor? For so long it was Kevin Kelly. Now it's, it's Ian Riccoboni. You've worked with a host of different announcers in your time at Ring of Honor too – Tell me, what was your reaction to being told that you were going to be the lead guy moving forward? Well, I'll tell you, it, it just about knocked my socks off. I, I remember I was in a, I was in a, a taxi heading to O'Hare Airport, and I was heading back from from a work trip, and I knew I was about to go to Texas. Uh, we were about to go to Dallas and, and San Antonio, and it was it was interesting because I had heard some things that okay, you may be calling these shows, and I, I didn't know for sure. Um, but then I received a call from one of our producers who had kind of filled me in on what was going on and uh, said that Kevin would not be our, our full-time announcer. And he had asked me um, if I'd be interested in assuming, you know, becoming the, the host of Ring of Honor Wrestling. And in my head, you know, I, I was trying to give it maybe five years or 10 years. And I really hold Kevin in high regard. He, he's a friend. He's a mentor. Uh, somebody that's been a combination of a, a father figure, a big brother to me. Um, but when I was asked that day, um, it, it was a cold January day in Chicago uh, and I'm from Philadelphia. So I was, you know, I was even kind of out of my element there. I was just excited to get home, but, uh, I couldn't believe what I was hearing as I was getting ready to go home. So I, I said yes right away because that's, you know, all of the, the time and the effort and the energy and, and the reps and all the time, the effort and the energy that, that Kevin had put into me and that our producers had put into me, uh, I said yes right away because I felt confident and comfortable I could grow into the role. But of course, once you accept something that big, you know, just a little bit of human nature, a little bit of doubt starts to set in, you know, can I really do this? So, you know, those types of things started to run through my head. Uh, but I got, you know, I got pretty confident pretty quickly. I think I've had something like 16 different partners on television at any given time or 13 partners and 16 combinations or something, something wild. So it's been fun. I'm really excited speaking of Chicago, to have a, a more steady partner. You know, Colt Cabana's been that guy, and BJ when Colt's been unavailable. So I've lucked out into two really good regular partners. Now, initially, when you were uh, revealed to be the, the host of Ring of Honor, 
there were rumors that Ring of Honor and Kevin Kelly were done working together, but he came back in briefly, like for, I think maybe a taping or something like that. What was that like working with him after that? Because I'm pretty sure everybody knew that you would be the guy moving forward. Um, You know, Kevin was nothing but gracious. Uh, Kevin, in fact, I'll use this example. It was 15th anniversary in Las Vegas. And originally the production setup had Colt, Kevin, and myself. And Kevin really went out of his way, uh, you know, to say that, hey, Ian's going to be the lead broadcaster on this pay-per-view. Ian needs to be in the middle so that the folks at home get to see um, who is is kind of quarterbacking this broadcast. And from there on, uh, Kevin had been the same kind of way. Uh, the next night, we did a TV taping together, he and I. Uh, after that, Baltimore Colt and I called together, but then... Um, the the last war of the world's tour in North America. Uh, it was the three of us, and again, uh, Kevin made sure I was in the middle. Kevin made sure that um, you know I was the one kind of directing traffic, and you know, in between matches or in between episodes of, of television, um, he'd give me some breakdowns and some pointers. And I'm really thankful that I actually had that transition period because you know it's one thing to kind of learn on the job, but it's another to have someone that you trust and that's your mentor and someone that helped you get to where you are to really help you deliver kind of real time in your first couple couple goes. So is there anybody without having to name names you've kind of had to squeeze blood from a stone with? Because yeah, that happens sometimes. Oh, in terms of commentary or? Yeah. Oh, um, you know, I, I think the biggest thing is if I see somebody on a production sheet um, that is slated to do commentary, uh, you know, I, I make sure I get with them and I make sure that they understand the, the background of the match. And I, I, I make sure that they um, understand the stakes of the match. And, you know, a lot of times, um, if it's somebody that maybe hasn't done a whole lot of commentary, I'll, I'll use the example of Cheeseburger, who's very, very good in our, in our Future of Honor Friday bout that we called. Cheeseburger hasn't done a whole lot of commentary, uh, but he was actually very, very good uh, in my opinion, because he knew the stakes of the match between Will Ferrara, Rhett Titus, and uh, Rapongi 3K, as they're now known. And, you know, he knew what was at stake, and he knew where he fit into that picture and how he wanted to kind of guide uh, where he wanted to go. So, you know, with not only as the, as the quote-unquote host of Ring of Honor, um, does there come the responsibility of leading the television broadcast, but it also has that little extra responsibility of sort of coaching and making sure uh, anybody who's on the production sheet to do commentary with you is, is ready to go. And... All right, you guys are back. So I spoke to Ian kind of in promotion of these Ring of Honor New Japan shows this weekend. There's like shows that are airing on iPay-Per-View, Fight App, things like that, through all throughout the weekend. You're like all kinds of Bullet Club matches. You got Bullet Club versus Chaos. You got a tag team title match. Friday night, television title match Friday night. I know Saturday night is Cody versus Kushida for the uh, world championship. Uh, I think Sunday night is Kenny Omega defending the IWGP United States Championship. We have all the cards up on Fightful.com on the, the left side where it says events. So got coverage of all those. Looking forward to it. And like I, I see New Japan and Ring of Honor almost as one. Like when I mm-hmm. think of one or the other, I'm just like they're the same, even right. though they're a little different. 
to me, I don't think there's any dispute that they are the number collectively the number two promotion in America. Oh, absolutely, no question. Yeah, absolutely, no question. You know who's not the number two promotion in North in uh, America? Impact. Impact Wrestling. And uh, so some people are going to find this next topic. Those that listen to us on a weekly basis, they actually might find this a little redundant because we've talked about <laughs> this before. The reason I chose to, to – I actually went through and I, I uh, put together a little history of Anthem, TNA, and Jeff Jarrett uh, together. And the reason I did this is because it seems every single week, Sean, something new happens with Anthem Entertainment that's just lunacy – and uh, and I just it just got me thinking how many how many things have happened in say the last two years you know it just got me thinking about it and um, I really think that a university Sean should put together a case study about Anthem Entertainment and Impact Wrestling and Jeff Jarrett and then they can like do a, a course about how not to do business and <laughs> and do it at a university because let me tell you something Probably have Aerolux come in and do some guest spots there. Aerolux could do it too. But and they're also yeah. continuing as we'll we'll get into. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. But pro wrestling is is a hard enough business when you're doing things the right way or when you're doing things, you know, wisely or efficiently. Uh when you're throwing in a bunch of uh, you know, nonsensical shit, it makes it that much more difficult. So I just wanted to run through this very quickly about the history of these companies because it's just so so unbelievable. So in uh, March 2015, now for those that don't know, I think everybody knows, Anthem owns the Fight Network. The Fight Network is based in Toronto. It's a pay channel here, uh, and they're on uh, select cable systems, uh, I think, in the U.S. and, and even internationally. Uh, they're not a massive station. I don't, I don't know anybody that watches the Fight Network in Canada. Nigel, I'm going to assume you don't watch the Fight Network in Canada. No. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know anybody that does. So in March of 2015, the Fight Network announced that they had signed a multi-year TV deal with TNA. Uh, that's how the relationship began. And they were airing Impact, Explosion, and a show called TNA Wrestling's Greatest Matches weekly. Uh, so that's March of 2015, two and a half years ago. One year later, in March of 2016, the Fight Network and TNA announced that they were entering into a quote-unquote comprehensive global content partnership. And what that meant was that TNA content was going to be on the Fight Network's uh, streaming app on Roku and all that stuff. So you can see that the relationship was starting to grow, right? Yeah. Then, November 3rd, 2016, word came out that TNA was struggling financially. Billy Corgan had loaned them uh, a reported $1.8 million to keep them afloat. Aerolux, which is the group uh, that Ron and Don Harris are part of, they had loaned the money to keep them afloat, or they had, they had offered production services for free to keep them afloat. Um... So on November 3rd, 2016, Anthem, for some reason that I can't comprehend, announced that they were going to start a credit relationship with TNA, meaning that they were going to give them credit and fund their operations. Uh, don't know why they would do that. That same day, November 3rd, 2016, Billy Corgan was ousted as president of TNA. He had been there for three months. Uh, he subsequently filed suit against the company looking for repayment of the loans, and all parties announced a settlement on November 28th, and obviously Anthem funded the settlement, right? Goes without saying. Mm -hmm. Then on January 4th of this year, Anthem announced that they had acquired controlling interest in TNA and that Dixie Carter was out as chairman. So if you think about it, over an almost two-year span, right, uh, they were loaning money to, to uh, TNA to keep them afloat. They paid off Billy Corrigan. They clearly gave something to Dixie Carter to get her stake in the company. They probably paid off Aerolux and whatever the other uh, whatever creditors were. 
So right, I think Dixie still has like one percent or something like that. I can't be certain, but I think she has like like a negligible little right. Bloop. Well, that that's nice. So uh, they were they were basically behind the eight ball from day one. Like they were in the red from day one, and then uh, right after uh, that happened, they announced that they were bringing back a gentleman by the name of Jeff Jarrett, and his story is. Pretty crazy too. You can't script this shit. Like I said, like no. they, they they should they should make like a, a TV movie based on this. Had they, then they would be doing a lot better than they would be than they are now. They probably would be. So Jeff Jarrett, he first left TNA in December of 2013 after he and Toby Keith tried to buy the company from Bob Carter. Bob Carter turned them down, and you know why they turned them down, Sean? Nigel, like this. Oh yeah. So Nigel, a guy by the name of Bob Carter owns an energy company. His daughter named Dixie Carter was a PR rep. Okay. Knew nothing but wrestling. But because she was the daughter of the owner, she put herself on television and she saw that she had a taste for celebrity. She enjoyed being on TV. She took over the day-to-day operations of the company even though she knew nothing about wrestling and really didn't belong there. When Jeff Jarrett tried to buy the company with Toby Keith, the reason the deal fell apart is because Bob Carter told Jeff Jarrett, I'll sell you the company but only if you let my daughter remain on television. And so they walked away from that deal, and Jeff Jarrett left the company. And uh, there are also rumors that Spike TV, which is a major television distributor in the States, major, were interested in buying 10% of the company. That way they could have a little bit of say of what went on, and right. that would have retained their big, giant, primetime television slot. Right. Uh, and you know, that's been disputed, but I mean, I know that. When I spoke to Matt Hardy earlier this year, he at least believed that that was a situation because he referenced it when he when he spoke to me. Did a did a did a tractor with a massive motor just go by your house? What the hell was that? I wish <laughs> motorcycles. You know, that's that's just how people get their their rocks off here, I guess. <laughs> okay, so then in April of 2014, Jarrett launched Global Force Wrestling. He did a few sold shows at minor league ballparks that summer. Didn't do anything else. Uh, promoted a pay-per-view for New Japan uh, in the U.S., Wrestle Kingdom 9. Got it on pay-per-view in January of 2015 and did okay with it. Then in June of 2015, he cut a deal and he actually returned to TNA. And uh, that was done for two reasons. Number one, he wanted to promote the Global Force brand because he had a TV taping coming up that August. Mm-hmm. And number two, Dixie Carter wanted to reacquire his minority stake in the company. So they did a deal and all that happened. And once that was out of the way, he was gone again from that company. Now here's a little uh, a little extra added tidbit that was interesting. In April of 2016, so at this point, Jared hadn't really been doing much for about two years uh, since leaving uh, Impact Wrestling. Uh, he appeared in a video ad on the Global Force Wrestling website promoting something called Global Force Gold. Mm. What he was saying in the video was, if you guys will click a link and watch another video... You can join Team Jarrett, and I will send you a personalized 8x10. What that other video was, was essentially a pyramid scheme uh, product. It was a gold bullion product. Uh, Jarrett was basically an affiliate for a company out of Germany called Carrot Bar. Uh, And what it is is where you basically recruit people, have them buy some of the gold. They recruit more people, they buy some of the gold. They recruit more people, they buy some of the gold. And then Jarrett, if he's at the top of that chain of people gets basically benefit from each one down the chain. And he actually put that video on the Global Force website <laughs> in, uh, in April of 2016, which is 
mind-boggling. But I mean, clearly, I mean, he was showing desperation financially. Why else would you do it? But he did it. Uh, and then after Anthem took over in January of 2017, when they took over uh, Impact, they decided to bring Jeff Jarrett back and made him the chief creative officer, uh, said they were going to distance themselves from the TNA brand, going back to Impact Wrestling. Jarrett then traveled the world, Sean, went to Mexico, went to Japan, went to the UK, all paid for by Anthem, of course. Said they had a five-year plan, which is cool because he was under salary, so it's not his money. Then they were going to do a deal with ITV to create a promotion in the UK called uh, World of Sport. Didn't happen. Uh, then uh, they announced uh, in June of this year that Impact was acquiring Global Force Wrestling. Even though Global Force Wrestling was a non-existing entity, they were still acquiring them, which is pretty awesome. And then uh, on September 5th, it was announced that Jeff Jarrett was taking an indefinite leave of absence from Global Force. Uh, Stemming from uh, AAA's Triple Mania show in Mexico when Jared appeared to be a little intoxicated. And here's where lately things have just gotten even more comedic. It came out that Anthem hadn't completed the transaction yet for the Global Force branding. Meaning that they branded, they branded their international television with a brand that they did not own. Uh, leaving Jared with essentially the rights to what was now an internationally recognizable brand, at least to a degree. Uh, which is amazing. The same day that word got out about Jarrett, uh, Anthem announced that they're launching the Global Global Wrestling Network, which is a streaming service, and they timed it like that in, intentionally because they knew the Jarrett thing was going to get them bad press. So they wanted people to know, you know, we're not dead, we're launching this network, and everything's going to be fine. Uh, and here's where the fun continued, John. So on September 12th, the network went live in beta for developers so they could QA it. Uh, they didn't put it behind a password-protected wall. So anybody that went to the site could access the content for free, which is awesome. Then this week, uh, the network went live. It went live Sunday night in the UK and Ireland and went live Monday. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand, and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Say goodbye your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. One day in the U.S. and Canada, and it was discovered by somebody that knows code that they put it on a non-secure WordPress site, meaning that if you put in your credit card information, you got to be concerned about potential hackers and, and people potentially lifting your information. Uh, is this all... Isn't this all unbelievable that this all happened? Like one thing after the next after the I next. I wish I could say no. Isn't it amazing? And let <laughs> me tell you something. I say no. Let me tell you something. I would almost bet 
because I don't know anything about Anthem's uh, development team. I would almost bet that they outsourced to India, and that's why it was an unsecure WordPress site. And the reason I question that is because when I was starting up this company, we outsourced to India because you do it because it's cheap, right? Yeah. And what we discovered on one of our sites was that the Indian developer, who was a fraction of the price of a local developer, they had put code into the page so that if anybody signed up for our site, that lead would go to them. And the way that we discovered it was I wasn't happy with their work. They were slow and everything, and the communication wasn't good. So I had a local guy go through the code, and he found that they had put that in. Um, And I I question all of these mistakes and not being behind a a password-protected wall and putting it on an unsecure site when you're asking for people's credit card information. I question if that's what they did. Which was put together by a guy who is now no longer with the company. Oh, did Uh, they fire him? I, I don't know, but he's not there. Maybe he didn't get paid. Ooh. I don't know. Well, they haven't had that trouble uh, since Anthem took over, from what I understand. Like, they, everybody's getting paid on time. And uh, as you were going through that, I got a press release from Impact Wrestling about the, Did launch, you? Uh, about the launch of the digital service. <laughs> it, it never ends there. I mean, you know, it's it's so crazy because... It's unbelievable, all these things that have happened. It's just, it's so mind-blowing to me, man. I mean, like I said... And you're bound for glory ticket sales are okay, though. In Ottawa? Yeah. Define okay. Well, I mean, they're not available for Bound for Glory anymore. Now, if that means they papered them, I don't know. They could have papered them. Yeah. Yeah. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And uh, now, I guess the only good thing that you can say, kudos to Little Force Wrestling. They got more content than Flow Slam does. I'm just sitting there wondering, why wouldn't you run Toronto or Mississauga? It's cheaper. Mississauga, Sean. Mississauga. Shit. What the name of the. Uh, sorry, Nigel. Sorry, Nigel. We are not in Mexico. Mississauga. I don't care. Well, also, there's probably not enough. <laughs> there, there, it's all houses there, too. Like, there probably isn't a place. Oh, let's be honest. Run, run it in Nigel's living room. They still might not sell it out. Nigel's like, I'm going to have to miss that one. I honestly think that when they were looking into, you know, I assume they provide hotel for the talent, right? Do they? <clears throat> yes, they do. Because if you think about hotels in, in Toronto versus Ottawa, you look at the, the rent on the building in Ottawa versus Toronto, they're going to save a lot of money by doing it get, in Ottawa. get the feeling they're not putting their talent in a hotel like Jimmy Van does. Probably Just not. Just saying that much. I'll put Probably you over not. there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't don't think they're doing, doing that well. But I... Uh, when I heard, you know, the latest thing this week about how they have the network up on a non-secure WordPress site, it's just unbelievable. Just, just one week after the next, mistake, 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 mistake. It's unbelievable, man. How do you run a business like this? How is Anthem profitable as a company when you see all of this shit that they've done with Impact Wrestling? I mean, the only thing that I can possibly think of is that Ed Nornholm himself said on the Observer interview that he drew the short straw. That was the terminology he used. Like he really didn't want to do it and, and he drew the short straw. So maybe he doesn't really care that much. Maybe, you know, ah, they want me to do this and, you know. You know what's hilarious? Jeff Jarrett, Dixie Carter, Airlux, Billy Corgan, Anthem. They just refuse to stay out of right. this type of business. Right. Failure, 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 failure over and over and over and over and over again. And some of them even get spared the expense of failure at, a, at times. And they're like, you know what? Well, I want to go fail somewhere else. I, I, damn it, I am determined to <laughs> fail at this. 
I mean, Jeff Jarrett, that's, he's known that his whole life, so I don't blame him because th this is what he's known. Mm -hmm. And if anything, and we've talked about this before, I give Jeff Jarrett props because he actually somehow managed to get a salary position yeah. out of this whole thing. When he had been out of wrestling for two and a half years, did nothing with Global Force Wrestling, nothing, aside from a, a few soul shows, was peddling uh, a gold bullion pyramid scheme on the Global Force website. After all of that, he actually managed to get a full-time salaried position. I say good for him that he was able to get it. Dixie Carter, to me, was just using daddy's money. That's all it was. And she you liked think it. anybody ever bought any of that gold? I would love to find them. Oh, I, I, I bet you for sure because they, would, they probably talked about the benefits and the investment and gold's going to go up and... You know, I, I've talked to people that, that know that business, and they told me you never actually physically see the gold in that kind of business. You mm -hmm. pay money, you invest in it, but you never actually physically see it. So you don't actually know if it's there. Kind of like a mobile dispensary business in Colorado. Yeah. Right? You never know if it's really there. But it's amazing to me, man. And, and, and Aerolux wants to do Lucha Underground the right way now with – with Vince Russo, apparently. All Unbelievable. Due respect, uh, all due respect to Vince. Maybe not who I would have writing my Hispanic talent. It's amazing. So they're doing that October 21st. They're doing a pilot at the Santino Brothers Wrestling Academy in Bell Gardens, California. And he like does like Lucha Underground, though. He's told me that numerous times. He's a big fan of Lucha Underground. Why would you – and again, I realize Ron and Don Harris, their background is pro wrestling. And, and you, you hear stories about how guys get out of the business and they miss the business. Yeah. And they, they got production, so maybe they're going to be able to do it on the cheap. But uh, if they really believe that they're going to film a pilot and that they're going to have a paying network ready to go in there and cut them a check, they got they – got, you know, they're, they're in for a rude awakening on that. Because oh, it's, yeah, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's amazing, man. It is. Um, that should have been our stupid people segment. That should have been. Fuck, that should have been our stupid people segment. I never yeah. thought about that. Well, that's good, good on that little cue. Nigel, let's hit it. This is a stupid song. It just goes on and on. You might find some meaning, but you would be wrong. So first off again, thanks to Trevor Strong. TrevorStrong.org. For the usage of the stupid song. Uh, anybody that's a new listener, I like to every now and then explain why we do this. So we used to do a weekly segment called WWE's Weekly Excessive Usage of Stupid Nicknames because they do stupid nicknames a lot on television. Uh, it became redundant because it just won't stop. And we changed it over to a stupid people segment. Not wrestling related, but I don't care because that's funny. And uh, this week, Sean, it's good that we have the political guy, the conspiracy theory guy in the room. Because this week, I pick stories that are not necessarily about stupid people, although they do kind of relate to stupid people, but they also relate to people that are too easily fearful and too easily offended. Yeah. That's what I got this week for you. Too easily afraid or too easily offended. And the first one, these are good, Sean. I got some good ones. Uh, so this first one comes from Fox 2 News out of Detroit, Michigan. It was reported on October 6th. That 41-year-old Robert Pattison went to introduce himself to fellow firefighters at engine number 55 in Detroit, where he had been hired as a probationary firefighter. And they say that it's tradition on your first day to come in bearing gifts. Uh, and so he decided to bring in a watermelon with a pink bow on it. Now, 
because 90% of the, of the firefighters at that particular engine are black, uh, some of them found it offensive, and this guy was fired. And uh. After his first day, he claims it was not meant to be a joke. He did not mean to offend anybody. Uh, and they even got quotes from people involved with the department, like higher-ups with the department, who acknowledged, yeah, he shouldn't have been fired. wasn't my call. Uh, yeah, he made a bad choice, a bad decision, but he didn't do it intentionally. He should not have been fired, but he was. So. It's hard for me. You know, I'm just hearing the situation. We don't know how, I don't know how it was presented or anything. I know one thing. If there is one stereotype I wish would be kicked, it's the chicken and watermelon thing because those are just delicious. The problem is with you if you don't like chicken and watermelon and you're trying to use that as a joke because those are not joking matters. Right. Those are delicious and they should be respected. There you go. There you go. This next one was reported by WBAL in Baltimore, Maryland on October 6th. WBAL, the ball. The ball. A high school in Baltimore was evacuated after the fire department and a hazardous materials crew were called in to deal with a strange odor. This really happened. This this actually really happened. The school was evacuated and closed. They took a bunch of readings, and they all came up negative. They opened windows. They placed fans inside the school. Then, one of the firefighters discovered a pumpkin spice air fresher in one of the rooms. And uh, they identified that that was the source of the smell. So it smelled like pumpkin spice? It smelled like pumpkin spice. The, uh, the school president, a guy by the name of Bill Heiser, who was clearly very uh, embarrassed about the whole thing, he uh, went on record saying, I'm not convinced that the air freshener is to blame. Yeah, Because, of course, you don't want to look like a monkey, but that's, that's basically what happened. So, isn't that amazing? That this People is, this just is... Don't, like, don't like pumpkin spice. That's it? That was what I mean, it was. Somebody... Companies are really running with, with the hot hand there with the pumpkin spice. They're well, doing... Everything like I see pumpkin spice donuts and stuff now, like all over, all it's everywhere. Somebody thought it was a, uh, it was you know strange odor, potentially you know toxic or whatever. So it's mm. good. This last one, Sean. Now let me tell you something, and Nigel knows this, because we work in online advertising. We oftentimes see things get misinterpreted. Uh, we oftentimes see things taken out of context a little bit. You'll take a, a thirty-second commercial spot, and you'll find one still image from that commercial. And then you'll try to use it in order to spin it and make it look offensive or, or insulting or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, now, I will admit that this was poor decision-making on the part of this company, but it was still misinterpreted. So Dove, you might have heard about this. Oh, They're, I did. So they released a Facebook ad this week for a new body wash campaign. Uh, there was not only a Facebook campaign with still images, but there was also TV spots. There was a 30-second uh, TV spot. I believe there was a 15-second TV spot. Uh, in the campaign, they had models of various ethnicities wearing T-shirts of their skin tone. And one by one, they would remove the shirt and then turn into the next girl. Right? Yeah. So what happened uh, on Facebook was somebody took a still image, and it was a split-screen still image. The left side had a black model removing her uh, brown shirt. The, white, the, the right side of the image was a white model removing her white shirt. And basically what they were trying to say was that Dove is saying with his body wash campaign, you can basically start out as the black model, use the body wash, and then turn into the white model. Uh, and so they were insinuating racism and all that. Um, Dove got roasted online. And like I said, really poor decision-making on the part of Dove. It, the campaign should never got, have gotten green lit because you knew people were going to take it like this. 
they got roasted online for it. Uh, they released a statement that said, an image we recently posted on Facebook missed the mark in representing women of color thoughtfully. We deeply regret the offense it caused. Now, the black model in the ad, uh, a woman by the name of Lola Ogunyemi, she's Nigerian, uh, born in London, raised in Atlanta. She actually wrote an article for TheGuardian.com uh, where she explained this was not just a still image Facebook campaign. There was a 30-second commercial spot. There was a 15-second commercial spot. There were seven different girls in the commercial spot. Went one to the next to the next down the row of seven different girls. So she said uh, she thought it was a positive experience. She loved working with Dove. She loved the campaign. And she thinks that uh, the images going online have been misinterpreted. And again, when I saw this thing, and again, I'm not defending Dove because it was a stupid thing to, to put into a campaign. But to me, it highlighted again how easily offended people are today, uh, how easily insulted people are today. And so I wanted to spotlight that. Not that I want to turn this into a political podcast, but I wanted to spotlight that as my stupid people of the week. Because people need to lighten the fuck up, Sean. I agree. That's people all I got to say. Up. There, yeah. there are plenty of real things to be upset about as it pertains to race and politics, but people do look for things to be upset about now. Like, Sean, they evacuated to school because of a pumpkin spice air freshener. Yeah, Can you I, think I about that for a second? Is that isn't that mind blowing that they would do that? Yeah. Guy brings of a watermelon. Guy brings a watermelon to work. He gets fired. What's going on, Nigel? I mean, now if like some some footage gets released of him maniacally laughing as he delivers it, then. Right, right. I mean, sure. I so I saw the Fox Two story because uh, they had they had it online and they didn't interview the guy. Um, but again, they interviewed people. Some of them work there, and some of them were the higher ups, and they all believed that he he meant nothing. He didn't mean anything racist. There was no malice. He just was doing it as a, hey, here's my first day. Here's the gift kind of thing. And I don't know. That's what happened. The world so, we live in. It is the world we live in, man. It is. You know what, what was on the news today when uh, I was about to start this I, I just want to say, I want to put over Canadians some more. Really? Last week, I don't know if she'll even want me to say this, one of your employees reached out to me and my wife to ask how we were doing after the attacks in Las Vegas. Really? We don't have that here. Yeah, Jocelyn, really? incredible person. Wow. Had a lot of fun uh, with, with her and all the others when we went out. And I, my wife and I were sitting on the couch as we got it, and I was like, that's the kind of stuff you get from those kinds of people. Wow. Like, so even the world I live in down here yep. and the world up there, and I know that Nigel, being a Canadian and – working trig tent the way that he does he gets to see some of the the it's it gets crazy down here i've literally gotten social media death threats for defending black people and gay people on social media before really That's, well, it's because it's, it's because such I, a weird environment yeah but maybe if you if you listen to me and stop posting on social media all the time you wouldn't have that happen so uh yeah i don't need to <laughs> like do that it's not part of my job so speaking of uh you know easily offended uh uh all of that stuff i guess we will touch upon jim Cornette. and i was i was debating yeah. if i should do this i don't think we should touch upon jim Cornette. He well might get mad yeah he might he physically might physically or theoretically i was debating if i should touch upon this but i saw the video and i thought I guess. I, I think he did it deliberately. Uh, anyway, so um, going back years ago, so Jim Cornette used to run OVW, which was WWE's developmental, developmental territory at the time. 
there was a story that came out, this is like 10 years ago, and a story came out at the time that Santino was new to developmental. Uh, as the story went, he was in the audience, Boogeyman was doing a segment, uh, Santino was allegedly supposed to be afraid when Boogeyman was approaching him. Santino laughed, Cornette was backstage, went ape shit, called Santino to the back and slapped him. Uh, Cornette and, says 17 times. Right, and Santino himself said seven. Yeah. He said they slapped him seven times. Uh, and Cornette subsequently got fired for that. Uh, and I'm sure that wasn't the only reason he got fired. But he got fired and he's always kind of blamed Santino for that. And he's taken a lot of shots at him on, uh, on the internet and all that. So there was a wrestling convention in Detroit last weekend, uh, and fan video shows Cornette arguing with Santino, because they were both there as part of the convention, uh, and Cornette threatened to slap him again. Um, there are people that think that Cornette manufactured all this because it's trying to keep himself relevant. He's been out of wrestling for many years. All he really has now is a podcast, and, uh, and so that's what people are questioning. Did you hear about the O.J. Simpson fake paparazzi thing? I didn't. So when O.J. Simpson first got released out of prison, and it was the either the night of the Vegas shooting or the next day, I think it might, it might have been the next day, O.J. Simpson actually was going to orchestrate a fake paparazzi video where he was going to have a crew follow him to his car to get his comments on the shooting, mm-hmm. thinking it was going to go viral because he had just gotten out of prison, and, uh, and he was going to make money off of it because he was going to sell the clip. And then what happened was one of TMZ's photographers knew what restaurant he was at, snuck out to the table next to him at the restaurant and overheard the whole conversation. So he overheard O.J. planning it out. Mm-hmm. And so when they were about to film O.J. going to his car, the TMZ uh, journalist jumped in. And as soon as O.J. saw him, he took off. Wow. Uh, because that's how it is today. Like a lot of the stuff is set up. The Kardashians are famous for it. They set up a lot of their shit. And so a lot of people think that uh, Cornette did the same thing. Um, Santino issued a statement to FightNetwork.com and he basically said Cornette is angry, he's irrelevant, he's a liar uh, and that's basically what he said and again I was debating about whether to even bring this up because I do think that he orchestrates a lot of the stuff and he manufactures it to stay relevant but it's a gimmick, that's what he's doing, he's running a gimmick he does it all the time, he does it with Vince Russo Right. and to Russo's credit Russo rarely comments on it at all like he tries to avoid it it's I remember one time watching – I had to break up a fight, and we knew it was going to happen. Was it two girls, and they were fighting over you? No. Yeah, I mean plenty of times, sure. Was it two guys, and they were fighting over you? Yeah, sure, probably plenty of times too. Anyway, as I was saying, we knew it was going to happen. This guy had been talking shit so long on social media over and over and over and over again. Hmm. Like, basically saying the same things. I don't respect you. You're a pussy. This, 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 this. And the other guy just said, all right, I'll see you one day. I'll see you one day. That's all he said. And then when the guy got confronted, who had been talking all that shit, the only thing that, like, it was like this. He saw it, and he's like, wait, you mean my actions have consequences? (laughs) What? You mean the things that I say have ramifications? That was Jim Cornette in this situation. You talk to a guy who made a living teaching teaching people MMA for a while. He's still doing it now, judo. Still doing it now. Yeah. Has a pretty good school from what I understand. Uh, yeah. Nice facility. Yeah. And you don't think like, – and he tries to, to, to clear the air and you want to to go and make it worse? Okay, well then you're going you're gonna to get that type of reaction. That's the type of reaction you're going to get. 
Now, a lot of the things that Santino said in his response, like, Jim Cornette was a successful guy in the business. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's irrelevant. They're both irrelevant in the grand scheme of things. I think you meant can today. They, to, in yeah, today's can they both go and make money somewhere? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I hate that term, the irrelevant term, like, oh, you can't make money anywhere. It's easy to say for a couple of guys who were way past their prime, but yeah, yeah. it's a, it's yeah. a delayed then, situation. Well, then on top of that, so the same weekend, Cornette, uh, Bruce Pritchard had a live show in Detroit. Cornette appeared on the show. Someone had a Vince Russo cardboard cutout, threw it on the stage, uh, and Cornette uh, actually took his penis out of his pants <laughs> to, to mimic pissing on the Vince Russo cardboard so, cutout. So I'm a part of a group on Facebook. Somebody asked, like, why I got cited all the time, and then I got tagged in the post, and I've been I've been a part of the group ever since because I just popped up in there. And on one of their threads, there was the Jim Cornette Santino thread that people were talking about, and then somebody just popped up and said, "I just saw Cornette's dick at the Bruce Pritchard show," and I thought, "Yeah, right. <laughs> wow, uh, it happened." It definitely happened. Hey, I mean... I think the guy is, like, bipolar, legitimately. I mean, you saw the email he sent to me. All I said to him was, wondering if you'd be willing to do this thing with Russo. I'll pay you for it. Don't know your price. He told me, like, go fuck yourself, and... Uh, you offered him a lot of money, too. It's amazing. Like, he doesn't know me. You know what I mean? And and that's what you, he said, and... You offered him enough money that I was, like... Making sure that my schedule was clear on certain days and trying to map out a possibility of when I could, like, make it happen. Type I, bet it, that, I bet it was more than he made at that convention in Detroit. Oh, I guarantee you I it was you. more than he made at the convention in Detroit for yeah. – yeah, I mean, it's – I'm not – yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. So moving on, we've given him enough play. Um, I want your opinion on what Roman Reigns said uh, in a conference call. It was this past week, and uh, I believe they were promoting um, uh, Hell in a Cell, maybe, even though he wasn't on that card, or maybe TLC, who knows. He was on a conference call, and here's a quote, something that he said. He said, we don't need guys running around doing two sweets, and we don't need guys acting like they're DX from 15 years ago. We need original characters, guys who are them. I need Seth Rollins to be Seth Rollins, Kevin Owens to be Kevin Owens, Bray Wyatt to be Bray Wyatt. We need original superstars who have no clue what was done 15, 20 years ago. No disrespect of our history and our past, but we're trying to create something new here, and that's the most important thing. Uh, a lot of guys, when they heard that, they thought he was talking about the Bullet Club and the Young Bucks, especially coming off that whole too sweet cease and desist. Yeah. And Matt Jackson from the Young Bucks tweeted on October 9, You expect old-timers and shock jocks to bury you, but not current young top guys that you respect. Disappointing. Hashtag us versus them. Um, what did you think of what Roman Reigns said, and do you agree? I don't agree because Bullet Club are making an outstanding amount of money doing what they're doing. So that that's what you need. You need acts that make money and that draw and put asses in seats. They're doing that. Uh, I thought it was in bad taste, but if I were Bullet Club or Young Bucks, I would have brushed it off and made more money off of it because they're very good at that. They're very good at taking things like that. Right, right. And throwing it back in, the fa- in their face and like – right. In, like maybe cock their fist during one of their matches or something right. ridiculous like that. Oh, they that. should absolutely do that. Because yeah. that's what they – they understood troll culture a lot quicker than anybody else did. Because right. when everybody said that they were indie stereotype ripoffs, 
they said, we'll show you stereotype indie ripoffs. We're going to wear tassels and look more like the Hardy Boys than ever before. I mean, they they get it. They really get it. And not everybody gets them, and that's okay, because the people that don't get them still add to the heat in, in a way, in some way. I just I thought it was a, in bad taste for Roman, but he's a company guy, and right now that was the – when that happened, that was the company narrative that needed to be pushed was too sweet as ours, not right. theirs. Well, then if, if that's what, what you need, then why – are you sending Johnny Gargano and a bunch of NXT guys out there at a live event too sweet and everybody? Mm-hmm. Why why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. Maybe that maybe they they didn't give them permission to do it, but because they're company guys, I don't care. I mean, who knows? Oh, they well they gave the guys permission to do it because they ran it on WWE's YouTube afterwards at a live mm-hmm. event. Uh, yeah. Now, if Roman was hip to that, I don't know, but eh, it's it's not that big of a deal. You know, I I will say this about the Young Bucks, and I I've, I've been critical of them before because I don't enjoy their act. I get what they're doing. I get that they're kind of a wrestling parody, uh, yeah. which is why they have the the two sweet tights, or at least they did. That's why they do fifty super kicks a match because uh, they're kind of being a parody and they're kind of making fun of the things that people always make fun of. I get that. Uh, I just don't find it entertaining. But I will say this: I respect what they've done because, like you said, they jump on something quick. They get it a cease and desist letter. They have a T-shirt on Pro Wrestling Tees the next day. Yeah, I, res- I respect that. Uh, I respect the fact that uh, when Hot Topic became their big retailer, they would uh, no, you know, do a very quick uh, unplanned signing at a Hot Topic because they know it's it's money in their pocket. They're making, I, I they're respect making that. good money off that Hot Topic deal too, and right. it's helping out other people on the roster. Like Cody's getting his shirts in there now. Right, right. So, so I, I respect that for sure. Yeah. They're making they're, they're they're making more money than you know probably half the roster right now in WWE. Oh yeah, without a doubt. So without a doubt. So I respect it. I just don't care for the whole, you know, wrestling parody gimmick that they do. Um, and who knows how long it's going to last? Like, what do you think the shelf life is on that? Do you think they can go get another five years out of that? Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I mean, so? who? Nobody thought Bullet Club would be hotter than ever right now. Like, there a, a couple of years ago, people were like, "Shit, can it? Get rid of it. It works. It's right. working." Not only that, it takes a guy who was very milk toast in WWE at times and Cody Rhodes and got him over big. It's really pulled up the profile of a hangman page and a Marty Skrull. Right. So right. there I mean look what it did for AJ Styles when he was in Japan. Yeah. Like good God, that was that was one of the hottest things. Yeah. Anderson and Gallows too. Yeah. Almost as hot as the Spirit Squad, Jimmy. I spoke to uh, former WWE Tag Team Champion Kenny Dykstra. We got a ton of stuff coming from him because I think he has a unique arc to his career. He's still 31 years old. After he left WWE, he went and played tight end in college football. He's in great shape, as we saw last year. And not only that, his resurgence in WWE last year led to Ring of Honor, House of Hardcore, uh, like Rev Pro bookings. He's been working with the Young Bucks lately, which I talked to him about uh, recently. Your your 2016. I don't want to say return because you it, you you were in Chikara. You've done some things here and there, but you you appeared on SmackDown, and then I'm seeing you at like Rev Pro, House of Hardcore, Ring of Honor. What has that been like after being out of the the national spotlight for so long? Um, it's interesting. There's more there's more creative control on our end, and it kind of happened really fast because it was just you know we were we we're getting booked for WWE out of nowhere literally out of nowhere. And then, you know, you, you never want to, you get nervous when that first happens because our thought process was simply, 
you know, we could make more money on the indies if we do this while we're on TV. But at the same time, not that the indies isn't safe, but just sometimes you might not know who you're working. And what if something happens? You know, matches aren't as structured the same as they are in WWE. There's there's a lot more high flying. There's a lot more people who want to do different things, different styles, which is great. So we weren't, you know, we were a little concerned. Like, do we do it? Because what if we get hurt and then we can't do this? Are they going to sign us? In the end, they never ended up signing us, and it was the right move on our part anyways to keep going with independence. So did you see your, your bookings increase, like, substantially because of that run? Oh, absolutely, yeah. The first time I, you know, I just put out little pressers just to, like, some local indies in the New England area. Just let them know we're available, and they just boom, boom, boom immediately. And that's when I realized, okay, maybe we have something here. And, you know, it was tough, too, because the squad – at first, you know, the Spirit Squad had this, like, stigma to it of, like, oh, it's such a gimmick. It's such, you know, what it was. But now it was our turn to make it into our own, and that's why now we go by the squad. Well, probably because of uh, legal reasons <laughs> as well. But as you see with other people. But, yeah, so that kind of helped us. And now we've really just turned it into our own, and it's become more accepting, and it's more of a nostalgia act. And people, they like it, and they, they like what we've done with it. So, Speaking of – other people who have kind of experienced that a couple of guys that you've been working with the young bucks experienced that they they got hit with the old cease and desist what are your thoughts on that and you like i said you've worked them a few times house of hardcore ring of honor yep absolutely yeah i mean i don't know much about it there's the whole legal side of things and you know from my experience in uh university and college and stuff law there's so many different elements to it but the young bucks in general they're great guys great workers uh, you know, they, they're doing something great for the business that hasn't been seen before. So I'm all on board and, you know, I, I'm one of their, one of their fans, I guess you could say, I like their work. It's a different style, but it, it works. And they're, everything they bring to the table is completely different. And, you know, when you go into these training schools, you hear the trainers say, you know, don't try to reinvent the wheel because wrestling ain't going to be re reinvented, which is true. But also they try to say, find something that you can do that, that it factor that sticks out and you know, that they, they have that, they, they can do that. And that, as you see, it's working. Now you're a regular at house of hardcore and you're working with like the rock and roll express and bully Ray <laughs> and MVP and Tommy dreamer. So you're a very integral part of this promotion. Now, how did that come about? Um, the way it came about was dreamer just texted me one day, said, Hey, are you available? And this was December, 2016. And I said, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he reminds me a lot of, I don't want to say Paul Heyman, but the style of House of Hardcore reminds me a lot of ECW. And that's when I knew that me and Mondo could just let loose and do our thing and just be what we want to be. And that was a platform that we could do it. And when we did it, it got such a great reaction that it almost turned us babyface in some ways. But it was almost like people really just, they really grasped us and they saw what we were about now. And they saw... You know, the Spirit Squad before you had 20-year-old kids who were probably too young to be there, not ready. Maybe work-wise we were ready, but, like, mentality-wise and, you know, maturity, all that stuff, nobody was really ready then. But now you see us grown. You know, it's one of those things, had I known then what I know now, and luckily I know now what I wish I'd known then. You also appeared for Ring of Honor. How did that come about? I'm really interested in that one. <laughs> that came about uh, – Mondo's good friends with Kevin Kelly. So they were discussing different things. And, you know, Mondo has his connections. I got mine. I'm, I'm more of a Paul Heyman guy. He's more of a Jim Cornette guy. And that, that's a great thing like to have on both ends. Yes, it is. So Mondo had that connection with Ring of Honor. And, uh, you know, they kind of – we got booked, but then, like, something came up, and it was just all different stuff, and it ended up working out. We were supposed to do something in Manhattan, but 
the way that it turned out, we would have just been a backdrop for the Hardy Boys and the Young Bucks segment. So it, it was kind of like a blessing in disguise that it got dropped and it got pushed off. And then eventually we got that TV bit. And that's when we knew, like, you know, Ring of Honor is a different style. It's not WWE. You're not going to sit in a hold for 10 minutes. Not that that's bad, but it's just that's not going to happen there. And they expect movement, and they, that's what they expect. And that was our chance to shine. And, you know, our mentality going in there working with the Young Bucks, and I think a lot of wrestlers should really listen to this advice. When you go to a new promotion, you got to know who their moneymakers are. We're not going into Ring of Honor as the moneymakers. We know that the Young Bucks are their moneymakers. And our first priority is to keep them safe because if they get injured, that's going to be a huge blow to Ring of Honor. And that's a different style, and we have a different style, and that could clash, and that might not come off well. So we made it work. And then our second priority was to get over and to get them over. You know, getting them over is so hard. It's pretty easy. So yeah. that, was, that kind of took care of itself. But we knew we had to still work our gimmick, but we had to do it within the same style of Ring of Honor. Lots more from Kenny Dykstra coming up, too. Uh, I talked to him about a ton of different things. Like I said, his career arc is kind of interesting, and he had some a little bit of heat with people backstage, which surprised many that he was brought back after he was so outspoken about his ex-girlfriend, Mickey James, and John Cena. And they throw him on the brand that both of them were on at the time. So, you know, I, I a couple things about about Kenny Dykstra. First off, I respected listening to him talk about his Ring of Honor spot and understanding his role. Yeah, and he understood his role was to get the Young Bucks over, and a lot of guys just want to get themselves over. Uh, and so I respected that. The other thing is, back during the time that the Spirit Squad was first around. Uh, I always thought that Dykstra was the was the one with the most potential of the group. Yeah. And it's kind of funny when you look now because Dolph Ziggler became the star of the group. Um, but Dykstra, and even back then, Dykstra was kind of positioned as the star of the group back then. He was kind of positioned as the unofficial leader. And, uh, he was the so, only one they retained. Yeah, but then he ended up not doing as much as, yeah. as other guys. So that was a little bit surprising. But he's a smart, he's the, knowledgeable guy. And he still has plenty of time. 31 oh. years old. That's crazy to think. There are a lot of guys like that. Like, Davari still is in his mid-30s. Muhammad Hassan is in his mid-30s. Kenny Dykstra, 31. Rene Dupree, I think, is like 32. Yeah, he's young too, yeah. 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 Well, a couple of guys who, uh, a few guys actually that aren't that young anymore, but they're still kicking. Brock Lesnar, Chris Jericho, and John Cena. So, uh, Brock Lesnar. So, this is according to Dana White. So, you always going to kind of take it with a grain of salt. Uh, but Dana White did an interview last Friday, uh, October 6th, on ESPN's Dan LeBetard show, which is, of course, Diamond Dallas Page's favorite uh, <laughs> radio show. And uh, Dana White claimed that Brock Lesnar is under contract to WWE until August of 2018, uh, as opposed to through WrestleMania. I'm wondering if that's because of the Mark Hutt fight, if, if, if uh, he agreed to an extension because he got that fight. It's what I'm, it's what I'm surmising. Yeah. Haven't been, it's hard to get Brock Lesnar info when he's not around. Yeah. yeah. Like, because yeah. nobody wants to talk about it. Uh, there were people I talked to within WWE that said, wow, I didn't know that, but it would make a lot of sense because right. I guess his deal that was cut is being played very close to the vest. But I think Dana White would know that because I'm sure right. he's in contact with Brock Lesnar. I also think that he wouldn't know well enough to not reveal that. You'd think so, right? Yeah. Like, like somehow, like, do you remember when Ric Flair had a podcast and, like, he was just kind of like, ah, who really listens to this? This is what WWE plans are coming right. up. Right, right. That type of thing. And it would make sense, and it adds a little bit more intrigue to that potential Roman Reigns-Brock uh, Lesnar match at WrestleMania, even though I think 
Reigns is going to win that still. Now, let me ask you this. So his USADA suspension, is it not up in August? It's not up at all until he gets back into the testing pool. And he's oh, not and he still that. hasn't. He still hasn't. No, okay. Not. There were reports that he had back then, right. but he definitely hasn't. Yeah. And, okay, and then John Cena. So uh, as of right now, he is off the Survivor Series card. It looks like he's done until uh, the post-Christmas show, the annual post-Christmas show at MSG. Um, what do you think? No Survivor Series for John Cena? No, I guess no TLC since he's still part of the Raw brand. Um, I'm sure Vince Man's happy with that. And then uh, Chris Jericho turns 47 on November 9th. And he was on the Ross Report podcast recently. He was asked about retiring. And he said, quote, I am not there. And when the time comes, I'm sure I'll be back. So it uh, looks like he's ready for, for another run. Can you imagine adding Chris Jericho to the Zami Zayn kevin Owens dynamic? Oh, God. That'd be great. That'd be great. It would be great. Now, here's what I'll ask you. Kane turned 50 this year. Yep. He has not wrestled for WWE this year. Mm-hmm. Who knows if he ever will again. Who will be the first or maybe maybe the only of the two to main event a WWE show, whether it's Raw, live event, pay-per-view, after the age of 50? Will it be Kane or Chris Jericho? Uh, Jericho. Because, I mean, you know what they like to do with Kane. They they bring him in, and he'll headline a SmackDown. I feel like Kane is, is really focused on the political thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his wife has the insurance company now, too. Yeah. Uh, and Kane is doing a lot of uh, he's doing a lot of stuff locally. Where is he now? Uh, is it Tennessee? Yes. So I, I feel like he might be done with, uh, with wrestling, depending on how the election goes. So we'll see. I really thought they would have a send-off or something for him. They still could. They still could, but we'll we'll see what happens. Um, one last thing, uh, and I I am all for this. I think this is brilliant. I don't know why they didn't do it years ago. I feel like Triple H is the catalyst for this uh, because he is a student of the game. WWE is bringing back WCW uh, event names and IPs and concepts, and I think it's a smart thing to do. So they started with the Starcade brand, uh, just on a, on a SmackDown brand house show. It's going to be November twenty five in Greensboro, North Carolina, which obviously was a hotbed for WCW. So they're going to use the Starcade brand for that. And now they announced that uh, NST TakeOver Houston on November 18th is going to have a War Games event. And again, knowing that Triple H runs that brand and Triple H is a student of the game, and he has talked about War Games in the past, it's really no surprise that they're bringing it back uh, on his brand on NXT. But I, it's smart, right? Especially if you're looking for an extra sell and they own the IP, why not use it? Do you think Halloween Havoc is next? I would do it with everything. Bash with at the Beach. Ev- with almost everything. I would do Bash at the Beach. I would do uh, Fall Brawl. I mean, right. you throw that on September. Great American Bash in like June, July. You've got Slamboree, Super Brawl, stuff like that. I would do it all the time. You could run. I mean, it's, it's a little bit of a stretch, but you could even run World. Well, you couldn't run World War Three. You're not going to have 90 guys show up at a show. But And what they do with some of these things, like. Some of them you can throw on the network, sure, but they'll post videos of some of the matches and stuff like that and be like, this is what you missed. Come to these right. live events. Right. But you got to have momentous stuff happen. And if I were them, you've got enough titles. You can switch one at these shows. You can switch a Cruiserweight title at these shows. Oh, absolutely. You can switch a WWE UK show. Like if you're running a, a, the tour in the UK right. and you're doing like Mayhem in Manchester or One Night Only, like something like that. Right. Have a title switch. Yeah, and, and especially a town like Greensboro, if you want to get that once-a-year pop, 
make it Starcade, yeah. bring Ric Flair out, bring I think the Rock and Roll Express are going to work a match against Gallows and Anderson. Yeah. Uh, so bring the Rock and Roll Express out. I when's, mean, have Magnum last, TA come out. Like, when's the last time Pete Dunne defended his title? Like, I'm sure he has, it, like, local events and stuff, but... Right, right. They haven't had him do that on TV in, in a long time. But yeah, man, bring bring the old guys out. Do something, yep. like... Yeah. And what about what about uh, uh, some of the ECW brands in, say, Philadelphia? Or in, you know, the Northeast? Sure. Why of not do course. that? Of course. That would be right? brilliant to do it, like... Philly and Pittsburgh and New York run the Hammerstein Ballroom. Right. If you're NXT, run. I mean, maybe they do, but I'd be running the Hammerstein Ballroom. And most of those guys are available for on a one-nighter. I mean, they bring Tommy Dreamer in from time to time. They've got Rhino still under contract. They could very easily do that. That'd be an easy moneymaker for them. Yep. Right. I, I think it's a good idea. It's a way to... I mean, they, they, WCW and the NWA did this for years. They had the Great American Bash Tour. Right. Right, where you capitalize on the name of an event, right? Just do it, sure. And, why not? and, you, and you know what I used to love about that event, although it's a different time now. Uh, back then, they used to give guys title matches that wouldn't normally get title matches, and so yeah. you you would have Hawk of the Road Warriors challenge Ric Flair for the NWA title. Uh, it'd be great if they did stuff like that. Although, but again, you know, Jinder Mahal is your champion on the SmackDown brand. No one's going to give a shit. But what if they did? Chad Gable against Jinder Mahal for the title on one of these shows or something. Like somebody that you wouldn't normally think about. Well, they didn't have Jinder on the show this week. <laughs> Which, I mean... Well, he's got nothing more to prove, man. He's beaten everybody. Ugh. Right? He's the greatest of all time, Sean. Such a bad, bad situation. <laughs> Such a bad yeah. situation. Guys, I want to encourage all of you to use our forums. Head over to uh, forum.fightful.com or just uh, through fightful.com. Of course, we have MMA, wrestling, boxing, and on the forums, video games, movies, TV, sports, anything you want to talk about, head over there. If we don't have it, go over there. Let us know. Melissa is very active in the forums as well, uh, sometimes to an intimidating degree. Did you see her self-imposed like name underneath? Her her Melissa tag, I did not, but good for her. It was like a, a banhammer wielding tweener, is what she calls herself. Really, she looked up tweener. She knew the the word tweener. Yeah, like she asked me for several terms to give okay. her. Those were not one of them. Oh, okay. so she had to look it up. Good for she her. Had to look, uh, Melissa going the extra mile. We have our event section good and updated. We got photos, videos, anything you could ask for in a wrestling, MMA, boxing website. We have James Lynch has been doing interviews all week. We got stories coming up on those too. Uh, lots of fun over at Fightful.com. Share our stuff, Twitter, Facebook, Reddit. Make sure you uh, respect each individual community guidelines in doing so. But we got stories coming nonstop to Fightful.com. And uh, me and James are going to do a James Lynch are doing a podcast tomorrow. It'll be a little abbreviated because it's sandwiched between interviews for both of us. But he's a good hire. Cool, Jimmy. man. Yeah, he's a good guy, too. He's a good guy. So we'll see what happens with him on the MMA side things. Follow Jimmy at JimmyVan74 on Twitter. Follow me at Sean Ross Sapp. Follow us at Fightful Online. Until next time, guys, we are out. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. 
And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.